Before we begin this week's show, we want to stop and tell you about something else you can listen to instead. Take our show and more with you with the NPR One app. It's like having all of your favorite NPR personalities following slowly behind you as you walk. You can't escape. Stalking you, being stalked by Shankar Vedantam. It's, a, it's like you, maybe you turn around and there's Guy Raz staring at the back of your head hungrily. On NPR One, you'll find election essentials, local stories, and all your favorite podcasts. NPR One is ready to make a trip, waiting in line, or waiting for a friend better. You can't escape Guy Ross. Uh, no matter where you go, no matter how far you run, he will come for you. Find NPR One in your app store. So you, you probably know the World Series of Baseball is on right now. People here in Chicago are excited but maybe you are a person who does not really care about baseball. And what are you going to do while everybody else is having fun watching baseball, watching the World Series? Uh, one idea that we have found is you could pronounce the longest word in English. It is 189,819 letters long, and it takes more than three hours to pronounce. That is roughly the length of the average baseball game. And that word is the chemical name for Titan, T-I-T-I-N. Titan. So uh, here we go. You can follow along with uh, producer Candace. Well, this is, uh, this is super boring. We should answer somebody's question. Hey, Liz, what can we help you with? So I am curious about um, the how one could estimate the caloric content of a human being, and whether it would be different if this per, if if the human being were cooked or raw. It's funny, you know. I I've never thought about a cannibal watching their diet before, like keeping. <laughs> Maybe it's not a human being who wants this information. Okay. Well, we should ask. Are you are you menu planning here, Liz? I don't. Not exactly, but it does remind just, just me as of a, the, uh, just as a just as a palate cleanser. We should probably check in with Candace here. Lusa, lusa, lisa, isin, lusa, prolaglata, misaglutum, mental, glutamilla, lisagola, glutamilla. It's still pretty boring. It's, as far as I can tell, indistinguishable from what we've already heard. But still maybe slightly more fun than baseball. To each their own. This is an alarming question, I have to say. Well, okay. Does it make you feel better that I'm a vegetarian and have been for most of my life? I don't it think so. Confuses things, no. certainly. Yeah. So, wait, tell us when when this question came to you. Okay, this question came to me. I was outside, and there's a giant spider that has been there since about July, and it's you know keeps rebuilding its web. And I was watching it one evening, and it had a some kind of a bug dinner that was about a third of its size. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, how can you possibly eat that much? How can, how can any creature consume that much? That would be like me consuming up to my thighs or up to my hips. Wait a minute. I wonder how many calories that would be. I w- and, and that is where it came from. It came from watching a spider consume something giant that is about, it's, you know, significant portion of its own size. And then, it, you know, I connected with that. 
Hmm. Now, the, so, so as a vegetarian, I, I also really like cooking shows. And so I watch these people cook meat. And it's really strange and, and sort of foreign to me, but, but I watch it anyway. So, so that kind of made me think, well, is it, is it different if they're cooked? Like a bear would eat you raw. And then, but does some of, you know, the fat melt away and drip into the pan or, or, or whatever? This is getting um, worse. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think deeply about things. Think. Um, Do we need to be worried about any of this, no, Liz? No, it's all in the abstract, I promise. Okay. I think this is probably something we can investigate without um, breaking any laws. Hurting anyone. Hmm. Do you think a dietitian would be appropriate? Who would you who would you contact? You you mean to ask them or Yeah. Okay. You Not mean to cook? Yeah. I feel like maybe we should just give you a cheeseburger and then maybe this fascination <laughs> would cease. No, I, I will. I will. I will decline it. I am not going to eat a cow, and I'm not going to eat a human. But I, I want to know how you would estimate the caloric content of a human being, the whole thing, or parts of a human being. All right. Well, this has been fascinating and horrifying, Liz. That's my job. Okay. Happy to happy to serve. <laughs> you know, let's just jump in here. We did not plan to make a Halloween episode today, but uh, we seem to uh, have found ourselves inside of one anyway. So I think I think what we should do is um, just go for it. Just throw in some spooky effects. Yeah. Okay, Liz, we have somebody uh, who can help you out here. It's Mark Bittman, uh, formerly of the New York Times. But uh, maybe more importantly for this interview, he's the author of the book How to Cook Everything. And we have him on the line against uh, our better judgment and, and his. So, Mark, you heard uh, Liz's question. What do you think? Well... You know, you're not supposed to answer a question with a question. I'm sure you've heard that before. But um, I want to know what kind of sick person Liz is. That's my first question, because it's a gross question, really. We, we, had, we had certain uh, reservations, too. But uh, <laughs> we could assure you, Liz is, uh, seems to, I mean, in our, in our estimation, a fairly smart, uh, healthy vegetarian. A vegetarian. I wonder if there's a word for cannibal... Vegetarian, uh, you know, oh, like yeah. a pescatarian, but a man-eating, person-eating yeah. pescatarian. It's a humanitarian. <laughs> Good. Um, and then the other question is, you're going to eat a person, but your biggest concern is how many calories you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we, um, I yeah. question the morality of this. But, but putting all of that aside, yes. I did some research, so I have actual answers to the question. 40% or even closer to 50% of the calories you would get from eating a human would be from fat, and the rest would be from muscle, Okay. which is mostly protein. Um, an average-sized person is about 80,000 calories, the Whoa. whole person. Mm. What else can I tell you? I think that our goal all of us here, would be to dissuade any potential cannibals that might be listening. <laughs> and, I, you know, I feel like there's the, the moral uh, there's the moral argument, but also I feel like we have a pretty good diet argument. That is a high-calorie food. And, you know, if you're watching your figure, choose another meat than man. Actually, the stuff that I read said that it's, it's really not... It's comparable to other meats. Actually, it's actually leaner than other meats. But there are a couple arguments other than moral... Um, 
I think the thing that I read said that the body of one person would feed about 60 other people for one day, which would mean that you're going through people pretty quickly, and it's just, it's not, this is not a way to end that. So, Mark, can we assume now that in upcoming editions of How to Cook Everything, you will not include this? <laughs> well, anyway, how would I test the recipes? Yeah. Yeah, I just imagine the picture. Like if you get it, there's all those recipes for chicken and how to debone a chicken and cut it up. Oh God, you are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're both big admirers of 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 you, and uh, I'm sorry that this is the first conversation we had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sort of feel like you owe me one, but you know I'm a good sport, so. Well, thank you so much for talking us through this this horrifying question. Uh, I, I would say my pleasure, but. Like I said, I'm a good sport. Mark Bittman has a new book out now. It's called How to Bake Everything. Uh, We assume that it does not include human beings. In the interest of his book sales, we should say that uh, he did this interview with us about uh, cannibalism under, under great duress. He's really a very nice person who eats normal things a human should eat. Besides, you really can't bake a human being. You want to roast it. Hey, now's the part of our show where we tell you about our sponsors who sponsor us. And this week, that's OnePlus, maker of the OnePlus 3, a smartphone conceived and built by tech enthusiasts hand-in-hand with users. The OnePlus 3 features Dash Charge, an innovative technology that sets a new benchmark in charging solutions. A quick 30-minute charge will replenish over 60% of your OnePlus 3's battery, allowing for 7-plus hours of HD video playback, and giving you a day's power in half an hour. Check it out at oneplus.net. Nobody likes to move. It's the worst. It's the worst human experience, according to people who have honestly been very lucky. But if you're Barack Obama, you are about to move out of the White House, whether you want to or not. We're curious what, what that process is like. Uh, online with us now is Gary Walters. Uh, he was the White House chief usher for several administrations. He started with President Ronald Reagan. So, Gary, before we talk about moving, can you just tell us what does it mean to be the White House chief usher? Well, the chief usher is responsible for all the activities that take place in the executive residence uh, at the White House. And that's, first of all, certainly the most important thing is it's the home of the president and his family. Wow. So... Are you there if the first family needs something? You're the guy they they turn to? Um, That's pretty much what the chief usher and his staff is responsible for, and that's taking care of the family's day-to-day activities. Um, Also, uh, trying to make their life just a little bit less complicated and take away the day-to-day drudgery that the rest of us put up with. So is it like, because I think about things in my own house, like if I had an official uh, house usher, like, the other day, we ran out of batteries for our TV remote control. Is that something they ask you for, for, like, two AA batteries? Certainly, but we wouldn't let you run out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we would have them right there available. And additional batteries would be placed right there in your desk drawer, and you wouldn't have to go and worry about it. And uh, when the housekeeping crew came through the next day and saw two batteries in the uh, trash can, they'd probably make sure that that got transferred back to 
Uh, the chief usher's office and the chief usher would see that the electricians put two batteries back there so that uh, they'd be available for the next time. All right. Well, so, Gary, next year uh, we're going to have a new president in the White House. Yes. How does that work? So when the, one, the existing president, I guess President Obama, has to leave, will you be there to help him move out? I'm not there now, but the chief usher will be there. Um, actually, that process begins uh, much earlier um, Certainly in, a, in an eight-year administration, the second term, everybody knows that on January the 20th uh, of the, uh, last year, they're going to be moving out. On a four-year term, they don't know that, and so that process can be a little delayed getting started. That's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about, you know, when a president is running for re-election, I, I always hate moving. I wonder if you're in the position of of rooting for the, the uh, incumbent to win just so, you know, you don't have to pack up the House. Well, the job of the chief usher and the, the staff there and the executive residence was to be ready for anything. Uh-huh. And, of course, um, in a, in the, after our first four-year term, we have to do it rather quietly. We don't uh, want the president's staff to feel that we're making plans for them moving out. But then again, those plans have to be made. And if there needs to be a change like there was after the Ford administration and the Carter administration, since they were only in office four years. You have to be ready for that. So, Gary, then in 1992, right, that's the first Bush administration. Mm-hmm. And that was a four-year term. Mm-hmm. Were you there then? Yes. Okay, so were you guys watching the polls leading up to that uh, November election and kind of wondering, like, okay, do we need to start thinking about packing? Or yes. you did? You have to. You have to be ready. Um, actually, we start before that. Um, as soon as the candidates start uh, identifying themselves, we start collecting information, what their family members are, who they are, the names, uh, families' likes, dislikes, and we start putting that all together, you know, as soon as the uh, year of the election comes around. Did you ever have any awkward moments then with uh, George H.W. Bush, say, in October leading up to that election? when maybe he, like, did you guys ever have to disguise your conversations about what would happen if he lost? Uh, the process goes on, and you have to be very quiet. Um, collecting information and making the plans, you have to do it a little bit behind the scene. You don't want the people that are in office to think that you're abandoning them uh, or have feelings one way or the other. We, we try and be as nonpartisan. In fact, we are. Yeah. Because the resident staff, about 93 people, um, really support the presidency, regardless of what party. Has any has any president ever left something there that they called you? You know, Bill Clinton called you to because he left his toothbrush or something. No, we don't let anything. When when we do the transition, everything's pretty much planned down to the minutest detail, and we have about five hours, five or six hours, until the inaugural parade is over, and the pre- the president uh, who just took the Oval Office at noon comes into office, and at that time, we've got them moved in in their entirety, and the other family moved out. That's incredible. It takes a lot of planning and a lot of effort on the part of an awful lot of people. Yeah. Okay, so this November, we have someone who is running for president, Hillary Clinton, who used to live in the White House. Mm-hmm. Do you know, are any of her old things in storage there? Oh, no. No, nothing is kept, other than those things that are, that are the property of the White House. So in the, in the residence... Is mm-hmm. all, all that's new furniture every time? Well, sometimes the family that's coming in brings their own furniture. Sometimes they bring only pieces of their own furniture, and then they can select from the White House collection of uh, historic furniture. 
Wait, so if you don't have a couch, you're moving into the White House, you can either go to the store and buy a couch, or you can choose from an existing historical couch. That's correct. Yeah, but do they have to worry about it? Say, like, there's, like, a, a Ronald Reagan sectional that's there. Would you need to worry about spilling food on it and, and ruining this historic artifact? Well, that's uh, part of what living in the White House is about, living in a museum. And accidents do happen. People spill things, and we buy extra fabric so that if somebody spills red wine, we have to have it repaired or replaced. Can you can you tell us about a, an accident uh, that you remember where, where something had to get fixed? Um, one time many years ago, um, right after the fall of the Iron Curtain, we had some of the Eastern European nations come in, and one gentleman that I remember was part of the diplomatic corps, uh, was smoking a cigarette in the blue room, and as he finished the cigarette, he just kind of threw it on the floor and crushed it out on the carpet. Wow. So we had to uh, immediately respond and take care of that and suggest that he might not want to do that again. <laughs> Did you call in the CIA? No. Huh? We took care of it on the scene by ourselves. We don't want to embarrass the president's guests, so we would just politely indicate that that's something we don't like to have happen. Can I ask, did you, were you the guy who had to have that conversation with the diplomat? I was. How'd you do it? Just went up and said, sir, please, if we have ashtrays available, if you have a, finished with a, your cigarette, this was back at a time when everybody was smoking, um, and he became very flustered and apologized and said, of course, and that was the end of it. And this was after the Cold War or during the Cold War? After. Okay, good. Whew. Well, Gary, thank you so much for telling us about your time at the White House. Certainly, Mike. I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? Well, I learned that no matter who you are, you may be a leader of a, a country, you may be one of the most powerful men or women in the world, you still spill stuff. Yeah, and you spill stuff because of your position in the world on very uh, exclusive, fancy furniture. You, you know, you wonder, like, you hear about the blue room. I wonder if the blue room was, was the white room and then, uh, you know, Taft spilled his Kool-Aid everywhere. Or somebody accidentally washed it with some blue shirts. I will say, if you knew you were going to have a house where you had a lot of parties and people are going to be spilling things all the time, really any other color than making it a white house would have been a good idea you're right yeah that seems like one of the fundamental you know, a lot of people complain about democracy like the united states things that are wrong with it that's one of the main things we should have figured that out right away yeah a red house you could have spaghetti all the time and never worry about it i think a brown or gray house with microfibers how to do everything it's produced by candace mattel with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Suzanne. Suzanne uh, did a lot of good work for us uh, researching people on the internet. Using using methods that we do not approve of and uh, were possibly could get us all arrested. But you know what she didn't do? She wasn't cooking and eating people. None of, none of us are ever. And I kind of can't believe that we answered the phone. Thanks, Liz. You can send us your questions. You can send them to us at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.
Bowel, glutamonal, glutamonal, glutamonal. Hey, our show's over. <sighs> Which is a great relief to all of you and to our superiors at National Public Radio. But we do want you to check out NPR's Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. It's your guide to what's good in pop culture. You can find your new favorite TV shows, books, movies, and music and gain new insights into the things you already love. Find Bullseye now on the NPR One app. And at npr.org slash podcasts. Also, listen, 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 thrill, and a little villain.